0: This is the APEX United Methodist Church Podcast. Well, we've been asking some big questions over the last few weeks. And um, they're questions like, is there a God? And why does God allow pain and suffering? And is Christianity too narrow? There are still some important questions that we'll be asking in the coming weeks. But this morning, I'm interrupting the flow. Uh, I I sort of joked that you get a bonus question this morning. Um, You know how when you take a test and you need some extra points? So we're going to get some extra points this morning with our bonus question. And the question is, does life have a purpose? Does life have a purpose? And I thought, well, the answer to that is Yes. Life has a purpose. But I want to reframe it this morning uh, by asking, what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? Um, I think it's important um, because it really um, depends on our worldview, how you respond to that question. And we as believers, as Christian believers, respond uh, to that question from, the, from that perspective. And so as we think about the answers, um, there are certain answers that are obvious. Now, I like to think of a sermon a lot like scaffolding on the outside of a building, because it gives you a vantage point from which to work, a platform, a foundation, but there are, there's still a lot of work to be done uh, after that and there is still a lot of, be, of work to be done after you, um, after you hear a sermon. A sermon cannot encapsulate everything there is to say about this subject. And obviously, um, I don't have all the answers for you this morning. But I want to share some of my reflections about what some potential answers to that question uh, might be. I begin with uh, sharing a story about um, a boy named Adam. and Adam uh, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, his parents were Calvin and Teresa. They were good Christian parents, and according uh, to him, to Adam, they were uh, wonderful role models for him. Um, he learned um, about Jesus um, pretty early. But at 12 years old, he attended a concert at a United Methodist Church in New Bern, North Carolina. And he said that night that he knew that, um, about Christ, but the testimonies that he heard and the music really tugged at his heart. And he, there was an altar call at the end, and he came forward and he made a commitment to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he said he didn't see the fruits of that relationship very much until after high school as he was beginning college. He said when he was on his own. He said, I realize that life is much more difficult trying to do things on your own. He knew that God was willing to help him in the difficult times and that he was always there for him. As a result, he grew in his faith, and he began to understand more fully grace and mercy and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Well, he slipped into his professional career, and as he did, his relationship with Christ grew. On June 29th in 2012, he made his major league debut. Um, He realized, he said, at that point in time, that um, baseball uh, was not at the top of the mountain for him. He said, I got to, um, to where I dreamed all of my life. Can you imagine setting the goal and then achieving that goal? And he said, and I actually did terrible. I did terrible. He said, it's really hard to see your dream in front of you and you fail. He said, I realized then that baseball is not the end-all. I came to realize that I am playing baseball for a reason. And it's put things in perspective for me. He says, for me, baseball enhanced my relationship with Christ. Adam Warren is a relief pitcher for the New York Yankees. He was traded in December of 2015 to the Chicago Cubs. Then in July 2016, well he was traded in 2015 in December, but then he was traded back to the Yankees in July 2016. And that doesn't count the number of times that he moved from the minor leagues to the major leagues before. Currently, Adam Warren is on the um, disabled list for a brief time because of a back strain. He speaks about his life. He says, you get to where you have the perspective that God has put you here for a reason. He says, I'm here to glorify God, and that is a bigger purpose than baseball. Jesus has given me a purpose to my life and some people think their purpose in life are career goals or to um, achieve certain stats but I see my life purpose to glorify God and to impact others for God's kingdom as the Bible calls us to put others before ourselves so you see Adam discovered his purpose to glorify God and to impact others for God's kingdom. Um, Sometimes it's um, easy to say phrases like glorify God, and there are lots of different ways to think about that. C.S. Lewis equated glorifying God with our focus on the salvation of human souls. In other words, if we're not reaching others for Christ, uh, then we're not glorifying God. I think that uh, there are many ways that we can uh, do that. Finding your purpose is not easy, uh, but Jesus offers us some wise advice in his words from the Sermon on the Mount. And that is in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Hear these words. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for for today the word of god for the people of god thanks, thanks be, be god. god well as I, I read that scripture and as i thought about it you know there's a level of anxiety that is expressed here in terms of worrying but there is some reassurance as well the heavenly father it says knows what we need And I believe he knows that we need purpose. We need purpose. And his recommendation, very basic, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So our purpose is to seek. Now, um, our translation says strive. To seek and to strive first. I love that choice of language in the sense that it sounds like it's ongoing, doesn't it? You know, seeking is an experience that we keep, we continue to do. And striving is something we continue to do. It's reminiscent of that sense of sanctification, which we are to grow in God's grace. Someone has said that the first struggle of human existence is to let God be God. To let God be God. And how do we do that? Well, I think one of the ways that we do that is prayer. Prayer, to me, is the assumption that I don't have the answer, that I need to go to my Heavenly Father um, to ask Sometimes people will say, Well, you know, this situation is so difficult. All I can do is pray. Sometimes we use prayer as a last resort. But in fact, prayer needs to be our first resort. Well, how can we find our purpose? How can we uh, strive and seek? Well, all those answers can't be contained in the one sermon, but I want to suggest to you that um, some of the ways that we explore that, and I would remind you that uh, I know when I was young, seeking purpose was really important, but what happens to us as we age? Do we continue to seek purpose? Hopefully we do. One of the ways that we define how we are to move forward is um, by potentially by using an acronym, which Rick Warren has um, coined. And it's using the word shape, using the word shape. Uh, here you have spiritual gifts that help you define um, that your heart, where your heart leads you, your natural abilities, your personalities and your experiences. So those are all things that will help us as we explore our purpose. Now, the Old Testament lesson that we had this morning is Ecclesiastes 3, and it gives us another potential answer to what is the purpose of life. Um, Recently I was... um, looking online for some genealogy information, and I came across a listing of local cemeteries. And it's interesting that in some of those cemeteries, they also list the epitaph on tombstones. Have you ever thought about what your epitaph would be? Unfortunately, I think that is a dying art in the sense that um, people are not... Uh, using tombstones as much. But if I had an epitaph for myself, I think it would be Ecclesiastes 3, because it is a thread that has run through my life. I was first introduced to this passage when I sought out a passage to use to speak at my high school graduation i like to say, say that it my, was my first sermon, although at the time I didn't realize it was a sermon. On that occasion, I focused on the first part of Ecclesiastes 3, you know, the time section where you talk about it's a time for this and a time for that. But now, in my 65th year, the second part of Ecclesiastes 3 claims my attention. Especially uh, some of the language, some of the questions. One in, in retirement, one of those reflective questions are, "What does the worker gain from all his toil?" I suppose in retirement you think about that. Also, after thirty years in ministry, uh, perhaps this uh, phrase rings true for me, but maybe for some of you, I have seen the burden God has laid. On men, lest you think that I'm a Debbie Downer this morning. Um, passage in this passage, verses twelve and thirteen, really bring us some good news. They raise us up because it says, "I have, I know that there." I know. Let's focus on that. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all its toil. This is the gift of God. So here is another revelation of our life purpose, to embrace the gift of God, which is life. Rick Warren is the founding pastor of Saddleback Church in California. And probably uh, some people refer to him as the purpose-driven pastor. And you're probably acquainted um, with his book, The Purpose-Driven Life. Is actually one, The Purpose-Driven Church. In his Purpose-Driven Life, he uh, explains that there are three levels on which we live our lives. Um, for some of us, it's all about survival. We live our life for survival, just to get from Monday to Friday. And then some of us live our lives for success. We, we anticipate um, living and working in such a way that we would get a raise or that we'd get a promotion or that we'd have more power and influence. The third method that he said, or level that we live our life on, is significance. And he says that this is the preferred way to make a difference in this world. But this way could be problematic, especially if we begin to think of it in this way. I want to be significant. I want to be significant. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, James and John's mother wanted them to be significant. She was asking if they couldn't sit on the right hand in his left hand. And Jesus lovingly called her out on it. He said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Son of man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and as a ransom for many. So our significance, the antidote for significance, the pride of significance, is service. So we start to think about other people more than we do ourselves, and we give our life, our time, our energy away. Um, Recently, I think Arbor Day was observed. I don't know if you observe Arbor Day. I always um, am drawn to that for some reason. Elton Trueblood has a quote that I think is fitting for Arbor Day, but also fitting for this morning's message. He once said that one has to come to the full meaning of life. One has come to the full meaning of life when he is willing to plant shade trees under which he will never find shade. Plant some shade trees, sort of a metaphor for the things that we could plant that we might never enjoy or experience. Doug Homershow was a general secretary of the United Nations and he is the only general secretary who ever... Uh, died in office. He once said this, he said, The price you pay for your own liberation through another sacrifice is that you in turn must be willing to liberate in the same way irregardless of the consequences to yourself. So our significance comes in living a life of purpose that compels us to liberate others as we have been liberated through love. Now you may be uncomfortable with that liberation language, but just substitute forgiveness. Our significance comes in living a life of purpose that compels us to forgive others as we have been forgiven through love. Viktor Frankl is a name that um, might be familiar to you. You might recall that he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He was also one of those persons who was captured and put in Auschwitz after World War II, or during World War II. Um, Frankl was a professor of neurology and psychiatry. And he was the founder of a type of psychotherapy called logotherapy. He speaks about his experience in uh, the concentration camp. And if you can imagine a man being marched about at the same time being struck uh, by guards and him moving beyond that moment to think these thoughts which he described. He said, "'A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers, the truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire.'" And then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. Now, Frankel was a Jew, but there's some question about his own faith journey. Uh, there are people who are skeptics uh, on both sides. But regardless of where... Frankel was, as we hear those words, we see them through the eyes of faith as Christian believers. The salvation of man is through love and in love. And who do we identify the most with love? Jesus. As we think about the life of Jesus, we think about him having a life that was a loving life. We all bet our life on something, and Jesus bet His life on love, not only for His Heavenly Father, but for all of us. There is a prayer recorded in John's Gospel, a prayer that Jesus prayed before He went to the cross. And it is a prayer not just for those disciples that were gathered in His community, but for us generations down the way. Listen to the significance of this prayer. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So his prayer was that God's love would be in us, and that Jesus and his teachings would be a part of who we are. A Pharisee once asked Jesus, "Um, What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the key word is love. There's an old Westminster catechism, and the catechism was a way, a method in the old days when uh, you taught children about um, the faith. It was a question and answer kind of experience. Um, and suppose if we pose the question, what is the purpose of life? The answer from that old catechism was this. The purpose of human life is to love and serve God and enjoy Him forever. Now, uh, someone has sort of translated that, original version was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So someone felt that to love and serve God would be a way that we might again give Him glory. I don't want us to forget and not focus on that enjoy Him forever, forever part. It reminds me of the words from Ecclesiastes. I think the translation that we read uh, sounded a little bit different. But there is a translation that says, He has set eternity in their hearts. So God has put a sense of eternity in our hearts. And it's just a reminder to us that we are not meant to embrace life in this world alone. He has gone ahead of us to prepare us a place. Philippians, Paul speaks about it in Philippians. He said, Our citizenship is in heaven. So, the purpose of life, to love God and serve Him, to glorify Him, to live as liberators, to live as forgivers, to embrace this wonderful gift of life to enjoy God, to enjoy God, and claim the promise of eternity. Perhaps some of you um, over a week ago uh, watched uh, Barbara Bush's funeral service. Um, one of those who uh, watched the service was asked to come in and make remarks afterward And she remarked about something she knew about Barbara Bush. She said that whenever she was asked to participate in an event, she would always ask this question, What is the purpose of my being at this event? What is the purpose of my being at this event? Isn't that a good question for us to ask ourselves when we are uh, extended invitations of all sorts? Uh, In our life, maybe we should also be asking ourselves if what we are saying or doing gives meaning and purpose and reflects purposeful living as a child of God. Now, we've asked ourselves some big questions. But I close this morning with kind of a, a litany of questions for you to reflect on um, today and this week. Where, where in your life are you glorifying God? Are we embracing life or wasting time? Are we living in liberation and loving and showing others the path to liberation? Are we loving God and serving Him? Are you enjoying God? Isn't that something to ponder? We don't usually think about that. And are we claiming our identity as citizens of heaven? So life is full of questions, and those are some of the big ones. But remember that we are never too young or too old to ask ourselves as Christian believers, what is the purpose of life?